You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And away we go. It's another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. Thursday, May 21, the editor-in-chief of ArrowheadPride.com, Pete Sweeney, here. Joined by my esteemed deputy editor, John Dixon. John, how are we doing today? I'm officially a legal driver again. That's a big, that's a big thing. I've gotten to the point in my life where I now understand that the purpose of a driving test at my age isn't to display your competence in driving but your ability to unlearn bad habits for 10 minutes. I, d- I did well enough. I am tempted right now, and I'm going to ask you one question about this experience. What was right. your worst bad habit? Signaling. Right. Signaling. I'm driving through, you know. You, Were you they, still they, using your hands, th- sticking your hand out the window? <laughs> no. Well, you know, they take you through these residential areas where there's no traffic. I'm sure if if the test had mostly been in traffic situations, I would have signaled more often. But you come up to a deserted intersection, it's easy to stop behind the line and, you know, do things the way you want them to do them. But signaling just doesn't seem important. And I, yeah, I didn't even realize how poorly I'd done at it till the end. But they let me pass and I have my license back. So it's all good. Lesson learned here. If you see my esteemed deputy editor on the road, just drive the other way. I think that's the (laughs) safest way to go about it. We got a great editor show for you today. The NFL is still keeping itself relevant, so there's a lot to talk about. We'll go through the Chiefs news. Uh, The Rooney rule was a a big topic this week. Some of those changes. Uh, Former Chiefs wide receiver, my former television partner, Danon Hughes, joins us for segment two to detail some of those changes and his thoughts on some of the major issues in this league today. We'll finish up with some coordinator notes, some things that we learned from the Chiefs coordinators that They didn't hit on on the AP laboratory, but first, again, we'll start with the Chiefs news and really the NFL news, some changes coming through uh, for the Rooney Rule, where teams will now be required to interview at least two candidates from outside their organization for vacant head coaching positions. Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy has been at the center of this because he's a black man who has now had reportedly seven interviews over the last two off seasons and has come up blank on any head coaching opportunities. Eric Bieniemy spoke to the media just the other day. Well, my overall reaction is, is, is going to remain the same. It's, I am blessed and fortunate to be placed in this opportunity and been given the situation. Okay. One thing as a coach, you always want to be judged based upon your own merit. So at the end of the day, the best coach is going to be hired. So that's what I do. I coach football But when it's all said and done with, I can't control all the controllables. The only thing I can control is where we're at right now and what we're doing. And that's making sure that 
we are mentally prepared for whenever we have that opportunity to get back on the field together. I mentioned this to Dana in our recorded interview in segment two. The fact that I don't know how much Eric Bieniemy wants to be this guy. He just ended up in that circumstance. You could tell that he really just wants to be a head coach on what he has been able to do with the Kansas City Chiefs. And I think you can understand that. So he was pushed further on this conference call, asked about this new measure by the NFL where 32 teams will establish a minority coaching fellowship program, one to two year full-time fellowship in an effort to get these guys in the pipeline. Uh, well, I think it's, there's, there are plenty of candidates that are more than qualified. I think one thing uh, that popped up was, you know, uh, some coaches now, assistant coaches are going to have an opportunity to interview. I think that's huge. I think that's huge across the board, regardless of skin color. It doesn't make a difference, you know. Now you get an opportunity to interview the best football coach for that particular position. I think one thing is is that with all this discussion uh, being brought to the table, it just opened up different uh, doors for many different people. And like I said, when it's all said and done with, uh, my job is to make sure I'm focused on what we're doing. But yes, I am happy that that was uh, passed so those guys can have an opportunity. But understanding that, hell, I got a, I got a job to do. <laughs> we'll focus on what we need to get better at at this particular time and what's going to make us the best team when we have an opportunity to hit the ground running. What Eric Bieniemy is talking about there is really just a rule across the board where now coaches and teams aren't able to block some of their assistants from applying and interviewing for coordinator positions. Same thing for the front office as guys try to get assistant general manager jobs. So a lot of sweeping changes in the NFL this week, John. Yeah, and I think the NFL came to its senses and avoided putting in the most controversial rule that was proposed, which was to compensate teams that did hire minority candidates for these positions with improved draft position. I think that was a non-starter from the beginning. But, you know, they're looking at all the possibilities, and I, I think the, the owners are wise to vote that one down. Right. And I, I think you saw on Twitter some of the response to it. Nobody seemed to think that that was the right direction to go in. And this is a strategy by the NFL that you'll see a lot where they'll come up with certain ideas. They want to see how the public will react. And instead of just making the measure and then seeing the response, they do a little leak out. And that I think is what happened. And I think they probably saw the public response. And that was one of the things that was tabled for now any draft stock improvement for making these particular hires. In D.C., they call this a trial balloon. Exactly. That's, yeah. that's, I didn't know the term for it. It, it, yeah. is, it is an interesting one, a, a trial balloon. And this is just another example of the fact that you can learn something new every day. And so mm-hmm. I, I, I'm glad about that. Again, Dana Hughes has some great thoughts had a great response to all that happened with the Rooney rule and some of these changes that's coming up in segment two. We'll get to hear more from Eric B enemy in segment three, when it comes to some of the details of the Kansas city chiefs team moving forward. Another piece of news that came through that was worth noting from these coordinators. I didn't pull the sound. It's just a fact that I think we should acknowledge, but Sean Breland has been attending these virtual off season meetings Again, you have a little bit more of a serious matter where DeAndre Baker, for example, of the New York Giants with this armed robbery and obviously much more serious. In that case, the Giants have told him to stay away. 
This seems a bit more minor. There was video. We get it. But Breland is ongoing with the Chiefs. You know, we have to characterize this as, uh, you know, multiple charges and an arrest and everything. But truthfully, this is a relatively minor thing. It right. could end up being described by the NFL as a violation of the personal conduct policy, which might increase the suspension that he will get on top of the violation of substance abuse policies that he was already facing. But since he was already attempting to appeal that first suspension, I think it's likely that we could see a relatively small number of games as a suspension. But you're right, though. This is a relatively minor thing. Right. And it's just worth noting that that he is with the defensive team going Mm -hmm. through the virtual meetings like everybody else. Steve Spagnuolo said, Things, at least on their end, seem normal. He's been attentive and so on and so forth. I don't think you see him at the beginning of the season. That's something we have maintained throughout. So you wonder how the Chiefs replace that. I have said before on this podcast, and I'll reiterate, I think at least to begin the season, that other outside cornerback may be Antonio Hamilton. We'll see if they they go in that direction. Again, you hope that there is a regular training camp so they could sift through that. Maybe LeJarius Sneed could be ready for the Chiefs in that position, even as a rookie. Charvarius Ward, obviously. Obviously, the other cornerback to begin the year. John, don't forget Rashad Fenton, too. He's right. I mean, I just look at Fenton as more of a, a slot role because now right. that Fuller's gone and the Chiefs typically, as Craig Stout has noted a number of times on OurHeadPride.com, they use three cornerbacks. I guess you could have three safeties in that mix, too, if you feel that that's a better option with your boy now. I'm going to call him your boy, Dan Sorensen, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Underdog. So we'll see if the Chiefs go in that direction. This has been known for a while, and it came up again this week because Travis Kelsey met with the media, I think, last week. But the Chiefs will have a new touchdown song this coming season. Let's hear what it's going to sound like. And guess what? That quarterback, someone, there's magic, and they can just make stuff happen. Here he goes to the end zone, and it's caught by Kelsey for a touchdown. Kelsey himself. You got to fight for your right to party will now be the new touchdown song at Arrowhead Stadium. We know the timeline of how this happened. It was rock and roll part two. If you're a Chiefs fan, you probably know the details of how that one was kissed goodbye. Then Kansas City didn't really fit. Then let me clear my throat. I don't think that one was a fit either. A little bit more fun than, than the previous replacement. This is good to me because I'm not going to say fully naturally, but it came semi-naturally. So I Mm -hmm. like the idea that, okay, Kelsey put this song out there. It's a memorable moment for Chiefs fans. And it's one like rock and roll part two that you can kind of sing to and fans can associate with. That's where I'm at on. I completely agree. The thing is a lot more organic than anything else the Chiefs have tried to do since the demise of the Gary Glitter song. You know, it, it came from Kelsey, but it immediately caught people's imagination when he did it. And that's what a touchdown song should be. Something that kind of grows on its own from some kind of a humble beginning, not something where the team takes three songs and conducts a poll on its website. That was right. not, not the right way to do it. 
Of course, they were in a bind. They had to do something to change it. So what are you going to do lacking a, a, a seed like Kelsey planted? But I think this is going to be a big improvement. I wish I had the numbers here. And listen, I'm an idea man. If you happen to work at Spotify and you're a Chiefs fan and you're listening to this, <laughs> I should be able to look up how many Kansas City downloads went up for fight for your right to party, you know, during that Super Bowl run. It had to have been up. And yeah. so this is a a song that's now in everybody's tailgate playlist. You got to believe that. So mm-hmm. To me, I think this is a fit finally. It took a couple of years to, to get a true, yeah. I think, replacement for Rock and Roll Part 2. But now, say even the Chiefs don't have a successful season in the next two, I think they'll be back in the Super Bowl mix, but let's play devil's advocate. You could always turn back and associate the best time in 50 years with this song. So to me, perfect. It's, it's a fit. They finally got what they've needed for a while now. Want to move on to six Chiefs named to the CBS Sports Top 100 NFL Players by really Kansas City's frenemy, I think, Pete Prisco. So you you take these (laughs) with a grain of salt. The Chiefs that were named in this list were actually all in the top 50 of the list. So I thought that was a, a pretty cool part of it. Quarterback Patrick Mahomes was number one. Number 20, tight end Travis Kelsey. Number 34, Tyron Matthew. Number 36, defensive tackle Chris Jones. Number 41, Mitch Schwartz. And number 43, Tyree Kill. John, your reaction to this list? Where's Frank Clark? I don't see how Frank Clark isn't on this list. No disrespect to anybody who's on it, but I just feel like Frank Clark should have been there. Otherwise, it's pretty reasonable, I think. Thought you were maybe going to say Daniel Sorensen on the no. uh, top 100. <laughs> I, th- I think what's cool about these lists nowadays, and, and I think it always comes back to this, John, and, and, and you bring it up somewhat often as well, is like you, you went for so long in Kansas City without a quarterback to call your own, really a player to call your own as the franchise guy since Len Dawson, right? Now you're in a position where when these lists come out, it is a bigger surprise when Mahomes isn't number one than when he is. Mm-hmm. And to go from that side of the spectrum to this side of the spectrum now, where you clearly have the consensus best player in the league, it's got to be an amazing feeling as a Kansas City and an Chiefs fan. Especially as it occurred over such a short period of time. You know, we went from having a guy that we thought could be the quarterback of the future to having that guy almost instantaneously. You know, we had one pretty good game. Let's be clear about that. That that uh, final game of 2017 was a great performance from Mahomes. But just right out of the gate in 2018, he was he was blowing everybody away. And halfway through the season, we could see that this guy was everything we could have hoped he could be. That's an amazing transformation of our expectations about the guy and about our team. And nothing that's happened since then has changed that. It's amazing to me. And don't forget with that start in 18, where he was throwing, it was like felt like five and six touchdowns at the beginning of the season. He had Travis Kelsey. He had Tyree kill Kareem hunt was still here. That was the best football Mahomes was playing. And I'm Mm -hmm. not going to be one of these guys ever to say Mahomes is just the weapons he has. But now maybe you have that guy back and Clyde. I'm eager to see what this offense looks like. I think you could get back to that early 2018 version where the Chiefs are just, you blink, it felt like, during those times. Mm -hmm. And it could be 14, 21 points really quickly. I want to make another point about this list. 
Travis Kelsey ranked below George Kittle. And the reason, Prisco, that mother gave <laughs> is because of the blocking. Okay. Kittle's a great blocker. Yeah. I'll maybe surrender that. But Travis Kelsey's put together four years of a thousand yards or more. Mm. To me, Kittle's got to do that for more than two seasons before you put him ahead of Travis Kelsey. Like, we're not going to skip from Gronk not being the guy. Kelsey gets a cup of coffee and then now Kittle's the guy. No. Yeah. Until proven otherwise, like anything in sports, Travis Kelsey is the best tight end in the league. Like, to me, this is one of those things where one of these national analysts put something out there to sort of get a rise out of people. And, and I just, until proven otherwise, until Kittle really takes the crown for a number of years, Kelsey to me should be ranked ahead of him. I completely agree with that. And it's not just my own bias about it. Well, yeah, probably is my own bias about it, but I'll <laughs> say it isn't um, because I think you're right. If you do what Kelsey has done, which is unprecedented to have that kind of production over a long period of time, Okay, the blocking's important, but the blocking's not more important than that. That's just crazy to me. Right, where you need multiple defenders, and this is something the Chiefs are actively creating in Kansas City. Tyron Matthew, 34, feels about right. I think if he can play like he did in the second half and the first half, you were talking about a top 10 guy, but again, he needs to do that. And, and he mentioned himself how he dropped eight interceptions. You catch four of those, you're maybe in the top five. So that's something I think to keep in mind. Right tackle Mitch Wartz, I think he's starting to get that recognition that he deserves. I hope to see him voted to a Pro Bowl. And here comes all the Chiefs fans listening to this podcast saying, well, the Chiefs aren't playing in the Pro Bowl. I know. I would just like to see him voted there. And then Tyree Kill, number 43, that is far too low. The reason he is that low is because he missed five games at the beginning of the year. He mm -hmm. plays 16 games. He might be the best wide receiver in the NFL. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. So that's us. Really, I just think going in on Pete Prisco. So I hope you guys appreciated that. Uh, Mark Ingram of the Ravens made some waves this week, and this was on Fox Sports. First voice you'll hear is old friend Nick Wright talking to Mark Ingram of the Ravens. Mark, I know that week one, everyone's going to say we're focused just on our next opponent. You guys have a Cleveland team that actually was one of the only teams that beat you last year. Or, yeah, one of the only teams that's beaten Lamar when he's been a starter was, I think, you're 19 and 3 in the regular season with Lamar as a starter. But the other game you have early is a team that I'm curious. We got about 60 seconds here. You've got Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs in week three. Most people think the best two teams in the conference. Have you circled that game on your schedule? We got about 35 seconds left. Of course, man. You got the Super Bowl champions coming to town. I know last year we had to go to KC. I think the year before that, they had to go to KC. So just to have them coming to, just to have them in the bank, coming to the bank Monday night, had the champs coming to the crib. Um, you know, that's something you definitely circle, something you definitely look forward to. In order to be the champs, you got to dethrone the champs. So um, hopefully that'll be our first step to being able to be champions. In order to beat the champs, you got to dethrone the champs. John, small deal, big deal, or no deal? These comments. I think it's incredible. I think it's 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 a big deal because other teams view us that way. They don't see it as as a as oh they just got lucky. They just managed to pull it off this year. They see us as the team to beat, and I think that's fantastic. Again, something that we didn't think would happen so quickly. I think it's no deal and a big deal. No deal in the sense that 
I don't think this is Mark Ingram talking smack. He was asked directly, what about the Chiefs game? So what is he going to say here? I think it's a big deal in just what you said, John, where teams are no longer looking at playing the Chiefs as just another game. And this is something you got to remember, right? Even for these non-playoff teams that toward the end of this season or even at the beginning of the season, maybe, maybe their goal is to just make the playoffs. And when you play the Chiefs now, that's your Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. If you can knock them off, then yeah, okay, a team finished 8-8, eight and eight, but they were able to get that win against the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. That's the team you are now. And I think when you hear other players talking about Kansas City, that's what you have to think of. Well, and we heard that last week in the comments that Von Miller made. Yeah, our quarterback just lost the one game, but it was against the Chiefs. You know, that's the that's the the disclaimer that they're going to put on there. Oh, yeah, we lost that game. But, you know, it was against the world champions. I'm very familiar with this. We used to say things like that all the time. <laughs> you right. know, we, we didn't make the playoffs. But, hey, we beat the Patriots who won the Super Bowl. I, I think of uh, 2011, and, and we're working on underdog pieces this week where, well, terrible year, but, man, we beat the undefeated Packers, right? So, like, that's what you would hang your hat <laughs> right. on. And just not the case anymore. Right. Coming up after the break here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show, we'll go back to this Rooney Rule conversation, get into the bare bones, the details of it with former Chiefs wide receiver Danon Hughes. Stay with us. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show, and right now I'm joined by six-year wide receiver with the Kansas City Chiefs, my old television partner, Danon Hughes. Danon, I don't know how you feel about this, but I feel like Chiefs television hasn't been the same since we ended our partnership years ago. It hasn't been the same. I mean, think about it, Pete. I'm, I'm starting to look like Bobby Bell. That's how bad it's done. Uh, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, you, you, look, you look good. I like, I like the salt and pepper. If you're listening to the podcast right now, you can't see it, but Danon's got this really nice salt and pepper beard going on. I really, I really think it's a good look for you. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, it's been a while, man. I mean, we had some good times back covering the Chiefs, and you know, I think we ushered in the Super Bowl. We should take some credit for that. That's right. It was a long time where the Chiefs were trying to find success with this uphill battle, and everything changed in in 2017. And so, I, I think we are are owed that credit. Let's uh, move on to the matters at hand this week. Changes to the Rooney Rule. So, this is NFL wide changes. Teams will now be required to interview at least two candidates from outside their organization for vacant head coaching jobs uh, and at least one minority candidate from outside their organization for any vacant offensive, defensive, or special teams coordinator jobs. This policy also extends to the front office where executives are now looped in. Teams and the league office are now required to interview minorities and or female applicants for positions such as team president and senior executives in communications, finance, human resources, legal, football operations, sales, marketing, sponsorship, IT, and security positions. The main thing, obviously, is the head coaching position. So when everything came down, uh, I was wondering what your reaction was to all this news. Well, I think, you know, what's crazy is that this topic itself can probably take up four hours of a show right? Uh, nonstop because there's so many layers, so many parts of it have been frustrating since it was implemented. And this aspect of it 
in some ways I understand it, but in some ways it infuriates me more. And, you know, I know there's people on both sides of the fence. One side says, hey, how can you tell ownership, somebody that owns an entity, uh, how they can hire and what they can do with their business? On the flip side, when you have a high majority of African-Americans participating in what those people own, and yet you won't endorse or uh, promote African-American leadership, there's a problem. And it's just, a, I mean, it's just a problem in that, that considering the source and considering the money that's at hand and the players that are putting their livelihoods and, and bodies on the line, it's a justifiable topic. The fact that we have owners who have to vote on whether they will implement something is idiotic to me. It's, I, I kind of think that Ownership, there is a bunch of billionaires, 32 billionaires, that are billionaires and very smart people, but that does not take away that there's probably several in there that are very ignorant. And not understanding how this should work, what right. should be the, the optics, and how fair it should be. And I think uh, Africa, African Americans in this country, they are, you know, that's what it ultimately comes down to is that you are not, you always want fairness. And um, that's not happening right now. And so I, I, I like the idea that it's on the table. Some of the, the, the talks about a draft pick and moving up draft spots right. was more of a slap in the face than just having the rule itself, that's, that's kind of what I see in it is that we, we were, we're incentivizing owners to do something that's right. And they're the ones that have to vote on it, which doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. So I, I, I guess I, I'm trying to understand like where you're coming from in this. I, I felt like we were to a point where the owners needed to adjust something. So I was happy to see something come down. I think I'm in maybe lockstep with you in the sense that I don't know if this is even going to work until there is really a philosophical change at the owner level. I think any of these rules won't make a difference. Uh, yeah, I think there has to be a philosophical change. They have to understand that the times have changed. Nepotism, cronyism, uh, all those isms are not welcome. Right. Uh, with, the, with this type of business and this type of business model, uh, you also have to factor in, you can't, you should not be able to hire college coaches, hire non-coordinators, and just be able to, to do that and have people skip over. That would not be acceptable at Sprint or any other Fortune 500 company without any kind of backlash. If you skipped over women, if you skipped over African-Americans or other minorities, it would not be acceptable. So to have that be pertinent in the NFL when the workforce itself is predominantly African-American seems ridiculous. It shouldn't even have to be talked about. And you would think that the owners would be smart enough to get out in front of this type of stuff, but yet they still for whatever reason, ignorance or what have you, find themselves entrenched in this kind of controversy when 
to the rest of the world, it seems like common sense. And ultimately, you have to worry about what people are um, thinking that you're thinking. Are you thinking that African-Americans can't lead African-Americans? Are you thinking that uh, it has to be someone that's white? Are you making your business model over just people that you feel comfortable with and hang out with? I mean, what's your business model over this multi-billion dollar industry that forces you that back in 2000, early 2000s, we had two coaches that were going, two African-Americans coaching against each other in the Super Bowl. I believe three of the final four that year were minorities. And we've gotten to the point now there's only three in the entire NFL. I know. And it's incredible. I, I think that that it's come to this. And to me, why it's such a, a big conversation and, and such a necessary conversation, especially in Kansas City, is because we're dealing with one of the better offensive coordinators in the league who reportedly has interviewed with seven different teams over the last couple off seasons. And you, you mentioned it. You see a guy like Matt Rule come out of the blue at the college level when you really thought that the enemy might be in the mix for that Carolina Panthers job. Matt Rule ends up getting it, and you're like, well, what does Eric Bieniemy have to do to get a fair shake here? You're talking about the top offense in 2018, a top five offense, and a Super Bowl in 2019, and somehow he's less empty-handed. I think everybody can agree, no matter what viewpoint that you have on this, that right now, Eric Bieniemy should be a head coach. Absolutely. And here's the other twist about it, Pete, that I don't agree with, that I think becomes pertinent. And if you ask uh, a lot of African-American coaching prospects, there's a flip side to getting the interview. Although they may not say it publicly because they, they value the opportunity, they want to make sure they sharpen their skills in the interview process. You go through that experience so that hopefully the next time something comes up, you're better at your presentation skills or how you present your willingness and ability to lead an organization. But let's also remember or think about how many people apply for jobs. I'm a guy that has hired people. I'm a manager in a bank during my, my daytime job. If I see somebody that's applied for multiple jobs and never has gotten hired, that creates some pause for me. Like, right. what do those other companies see that I may not be seeing right now? So it's kind of a, a six in one hand, half a dozen in the other, double-edged sword type of situation where you're trying to implement something to get them interviews, like what you talked about earlier, what the new implementation is. But on the flip side, if you're Eric Bieniemy, one justifiable aspect of this is that there's an owner of a different organization that may end up being at the bottom of the, uh, the, the league next year and wonder, Eric Bieniemy's coming in. He's got all those things on his resume like you just listed. Right. And he's also interviewed for seven different jobs. What did those other people see that I don't see? And that could hinder him from getting that job. So it's, you know, you see the yeah. dichotomy that you have there that factors in. Yeah. And, and being straight about it, you talk about a guy, for example, and I, I think just keeping it on the Chiefs, and this isn't a black man, it's a white man and special teams coordinator, Dave Tobe. He had a ton of interviews for a few years and has seemingly, I think to what you're alluding to, played himself out of interviews because a lot of teams might have seen, okay, 
a lot of people interviewed Dave and, and maybe they weren't interested and, and he is sort of just out of the mix now. Yeah, but I will say this. You know, I played here with Gunther Cunningham, outstanding defensive coordinator when he was a defensive coordinator, marginal head coach, great dude, nothing negative. I mean, you know, the record speaks for itself, like Bill Parcells says. But there are just some people who are going to be really, really good coordinators, and that's their lot. That's what they're going to be for their life is really good coordinators, and they may not be able to transition into a head coach. But they should not have the op- they should not be negated the opportunity. Just like Gunther, he went to be a head coach. Yep. didn't fare very well. Came back, was an outstanding defensive coordinator, and that's how he he basically uh, played out his days in in the NFL. That could be the case for some of these guys, even from guys that left already. They could wind up at the end of their career back as coordinators, and that's where they spend most of their time. But Barring somebody or negating an opportunity with those credentials, whether it's Dave Tobe or Eric Bieniemy, is just insane to me, and it's ridiculous. And the NFL sh- at this point in 2020 should should not be a party to it. There should be something in place that still keeps the credibility of an African American that takes over a leadership position, because you don't want to go in and everybody in the organization think you got the job just because you're black. So you still keep the integrity, but also there's something that's in place that opens the door more when you have a resume like the enemy and others. Yeah. I, I do want to keep it with the enemy for a second because I find this interesting when you bring up the Rooney rule tweaks to him. I don't want to say he's ticked off, but you, you could tell that he'd rather not be this, I guess, last straw type of figure because he is just so prideful in the work that he's able to do that he almost just wants to have a head coaching position on his own merit. So we were on a conference call with him the other day and he felt like bigger than the Rooney Rule adjustment where more African-American coaches are going to get opportunities to interview. He, he thought maybe a, a bigger move by the NFL was the stoppage of allowing head coaches and teams of blocking you from interviewing for coordinator positions. And this was putting a a stop to what was, I guess, what you would call a pipeline to the head coaching position. So now Eric tends to think that this will be huge. We actually saw in Kansas City this year reportedly that Mike Kafka was blocked from interviewing to be an offensive coordinator for the Eagles. Again, that's a different thing entirely, but under these new rules, that'll no longer be allowed. Coaches uh, will be front office members, uh, regardless of race, will be able to interview freely for promotions to that level. Yeah, I think that's a great step for Mike Kafka. I think, you know, you should have the option. Some people just don't want to elevate. I mean, if you, not that this is the case, but let's say the example of Andy Reid. Let's say you know personally that he's only going to be here another one or two years. And you may not want to have the opportunity to interview elsewhere. You may not want the pressure of having to take a job elsewhere because you might be in line here locally. Uh, We've seen that in college sports a lot. But you should have the option. And for those people that argue that you sign a contract, you should be held to a contract, etc. If you are working for an entity that requires you to sign a multi-year contract every time you sign a contract, 
But in between that multi-year contract, you wind up being the author or orchestrator of the number one offense or defense in the league, and you are the hot name out there, you should at least be able to interview for that other job. Now, I don't think that's too much to ask for, and I don't think that's some craziness that because you're, you're, you're cutting through your contract. Because if I'm only getting hired with a multi-year contract, then that's my only option. Right. So to use that against me that I'm still under contract and can't go elsewhere is ridiculous. It's redundant. So I think a tightening of the screws with that rule would be smart. But I'll even go a step further, Pete. We have to get some uh, minority and African-American owners. Yes. That's where you start to see change is that now there's, su- there's another voice in the room with those other billionaire owners that has a different perspective that's not, you know, 50, 60, 70 years old and, and doing old school stuff and believing, having old school beliefs on what leadership looks like and opening that door. You have a, <laughs> think about it, you have a rule that in order to hire or to make changes about hiring a head coach, you have the owners in a room voting amongst themselves on what they are going to implement. Right. Same thing in regards to a general manager and the same thing in regards to the ownership. Like it is such a fraternity that it's so, it's like so ridiculously a fraternity. It makes you bang your head on the table because there's no way of breaking down the force field because they have all the rulings in it. And that's what makes the most popular sport uh, more frustrating than anything. I have the data right in front of me for you. Right now, the NFL has four minority head coaches, two minority general managers. So you're right. I mean, it is a small, small amount that really have any power here. Uh, In this rule change, the NFL is putting together what is a 32-team one to two year full-time minority coaching fellowship program, which again aims to help. I got the sense, even in the last question, I was going to sort of end with this. That's nice, right? And this is kind of, I think what you're saying, but for bigger change, you just need representation really in the owner's room. Are you saying that, that that is the next step? I mean, I think it's just tough and, and playing devil's advocate here. I mean, this is, these are guys that own the team. Like you can't get any higher than the owner is the way to alleviate that by having some kind of minority representation hand in hand with owners when they're voting for these things. Absolutely. I mean, we, right. we've seen, you look at what I believe there was a, a ruling this week that 500 million, the NFL was going to help finance a stadium. I believe, uh, or there's going to be financing for a stadium in the works, and the NFL has endorsed that. How come the NFL can't endorse ownership? When Carolina right. was um, ready for a new ownership, there were a couple, uh, at least that I'm aware of, of minority owners that showed interest. It may not be a one-person deal like Jerry Jones or, or uh, Clark Hunt or the Hunt family, I should say, has in their ownership of their specific organization, but it might be a conglomerate. It might be a a multitude of four, five, or six owners that come together and own one franchise with someone having the majority in that. Why can't that be an option? But when you have the other 31 or 30 owners voting on whether they'll accept that person, that's where you have the drop-off. That's why you have such a different 
sway on the scale of minority owners versus non-minority owners. And I don't think it's right. For a popular sport, the most popular sport in the world, in the NFL, and with it dominated with how many minority players, uh, there should at least be an option. Like, to me, Roger Goodell should make a, a concerted effort that when an organization is moving in the negative, like Jacksonville, like San Diego was, when there are situations where either money's being lost or the NFL is compensating them, helping them stay afloat, they can't get fans in, et cetera, that's a bad business model for yeah. that team. There should be ownership opportunities that are opened up and minorities should be factored into those ownership opportunities. It's not rocket science. It's just got to be the walls have to, have to be broken down amongst that fraternity. It's great stuff from a former Chiefs wide receiver, Danon Hughes. Uh, Danon, thank you for joining us to provide us some, some thoughts on this highly controversial, highly important topic. I think we, me and you, should keep our hopes up. I think one of these days they're going to give us a Chiefs television show again. Somebody is. <laughs> they should, man. We got to fight for it. We, we helped usher in the Super Bowl, the first one in 50 years. So uh, we deserve that opportunity too, man. That would be great. That's former Chiefs wide receiver Dan and Hughes. We thank him for joining us. Coming up next, we'll dig back into some of these coordinator quotes to find out what's happening with the Chiefs in 2020. This is the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. So right now, John, what I want to do is get back into some of these coordinator quotes. I want to tell you guys, so there are parts of this that the AP Lab has already covered. So Mm. if you want to hear about Clyde Edwards-Alaire and his pass protection and some of the enemy's comments on that and what we believe about them, Kent did a great job covering that. We also talked about Willie Gay Jr.'s potential role where he could be a Sam, a Will. He could be in Reggie Ragland's position. Craig Stout did a great job again. That's on the last episode of the AP Laboratory. We're going to go over everything else. So right now, Eric Bieniemy. this was something I think last week that was a big deal, the Sammy Watkins article. To me, Eric Bieniemy did a great job of just closing the book on it when I asked him the question about Watkins this week? Well, uh, one of the first things, uh, I, I, I enjoyed the article. And one thing you guys got to understand is players go through a lot of different highs and lows. There's a lot of pressure that players receive uh, when playing this game outside of what we do. And so I'm not going to divulge on any of our conversations, but I love Sammy. I love the way he comes to work every single day. I am very blessed and fortunate that we're bringing him back. Uh, He's a big, huge part of what we do. And I'm actually proud that he allowed people to get to know him because he's a beautiful kid. He's a hardworking kid. And the only thing that he wants to do, he wants to be great. And I think more than anything, I think if everybody can take that and just feel just his urgency to, to, want to express how hard it is to achieve those goals, you know, just listen to him. He's allowing everybody into who he is, but he just wants people to know that he wants to be the player that he was expected to be. And we love him because of that. This fits with the theme of the episode, right? How in the hell is this man not a head coach? And yeah. I, I think that bleeds through. And I really like the Chiefs supporting their guy here who once again, 
whether you like the article or not, is your number two wide receiver in 2020 for this title defense? That's a great job interview for Eric Bieniemy. It really is. Uh, you made the point in the piece you wrote about his remarks, but and I, but I I'm totally on board with it. This demonstrates his ability to handle the media properly, which is let's face it, one of the head coach's biggest jobs to be the face of the franchise to reporters, stand up for your players, help people understand what your players are going through. That's a big part of what they do. It's not the X's and O's, of course, and those things are perhaps more important, but you shouldn't discount that part of their job. Andy Reid does it exceptionally well, in my view. A lot of people don't like that he you know, won't say very much about what's coming up, but good coaches don't do that anyway. And he is friendly. He gets his players. His players get him. All of that is all encapsulated in that quote uh, about Watkins. Terrific. Terrific. Let's stay with Biennemi. Biennemi was asked about what Clyde's role on offense could be for the upcoming season. Well, well, one thing is I, Veach and his entire staff did a great job of evaluating the kid. Collectively, as a coaching staff, we, we felt we did a great job of evaluating the talent. But on top of that, and I think this is more important than anything, we know the person. And we know one thing that that kid is going to do. He's going to come in and work his tail off. Now, he's just going to be a piece of the puzzle. You got Damian Williams, who's who's who did a hell of a job for us last year. He's also going to have an opportunity to play with one of his former teammates. And then we have Darwin. And then we got the uh, the, the young kid out of uh, that played with the Oakland Raiders and DeAndre Washington. So we have a, a unique situation where he can come in and have an opportunity to learn from a collective group. But also, we want to make sure we're utilizing him the right way and making sure that he's mentally prepared to go when it's time to go. Love Eric Bianami. This is your first round pick. He has to say this because he's not going to just crown a kid as the go-to running back. To me, this is still Clyde's job to lose. But again, he's going to have to earn it. And I, I think that's what you want to see if you're a fan of the Kansas City Chiefs. Sure. I agree with that. And of course, the enemy learned his lesson last year. He kind of let it slip <laughs> early in the year that uh, Damian Williams is going to be the starter and we expect him to be the starter. And and then he spent the whole year kind of walking that back. But, you know, again, you love that the enemy wants to build his players up in the public's mind. And that's why I think he's going to be or should be a strong candidate to be a head coach someplace because he's got that ability to do that. But it did kind of blow up in his face last season. So you get why he wants to minimize uh, CEH's role uh, at this point. We saw dating back to his Eagles days that Andy Reid enjoys this running back by committee. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I watch him and what he does and how he handles his position. To me, it's running back by committee until, right? So mm -hmm. you start a game and, whoa, Damian Williams is playing really well. He's carrying the ball well. Whoa, Darrell Williams. Looks like he's got some spring in his step today. He'll go with the hot hand. So maybe mm -hmm. to begin in the, the game and to get until one of these backs gets going, I just find that if you start with Clyde and he is just running all over another team, he's catching passes out of the backfield, he's getting first downs, he's going to get the majority of the snaps. It's only when maybe he struggles early in the game that he might say, all right, Damien, 
Let's see what you can do on this drive. And then maybe Damien could be the hot hand, almost like a hockey. If you're a hockey fan, they sometimes teams, you'll see if they feel like they have two good goalies, they'll ride the hot goalie. To me, this is, is something that, that I think you see Andy Reid do a lot. So running back by committee until in Kansas City. Well, and I think also that part of what running back by committee does is that it gives you depth at the position. Right. Because, you know, we can talk about whether or not Damian Williams can be healthy for the whole season. But the fact of the matter is that it's hard to keep running backs healthy, period. They get a lot of abuse. They get hit hard. They get dragged. They, all these things happen to them as they play between the tackles. And it's just a reality that they get hurt, whether you're Damian Williams or some other running back. So, you know, part of this is just being smart about your depth. And, you, and the, the, what the coaches always say, you can't have enough of these guys. So we're going to have a bunch of them this year. You make a great point about running backs. And, and that's also, too, a perfect example of why you don't take a running back super, super high. Like mm. Dave Gettleman in 2018. What are you doing, <laughs> Dave? <laughs> but I think the Chiefs wanted that position to be upgraded. And they were right in the window to do so where... They watched the whole first round play out. They were still able, even at 32, to take a top player they felt at a certain position. And I think that's where you do it. Maybe in the second round, if you really like a running back. I don't think if you have a premium pick in this draft, in the first round, that you go in that direction. But the Chiefs, they, I think, took the hand that they were dealt and made the best of it in the NFL draft. And to me, Clyde was included in that. Want to move on to Dave Tobe. And we are talking about the hottest battle in all of the NFL, and that's the punter battle in Kansas City. Before I play this sound, Tobit actually said that Tommy Townsend, who the Chiefs signed as an undrafted free agent out of Florida, he had as his best punter coming out of the draft. Here was more from Tobe on this upcoming hot and sizzling punter battle. Well, number one thing is it is going to be a true competition. I mean, there's nobody really out in front right now. I mean, as we look at it, uh, I, I like them both. Uh, they both they both got really, really strong legs, really powerful leg. They they uh, consistently hit uh, over 5-0 hang times, which is it's real impressive. Uh, Tommy's a little bit more, I'd say, a little bit more uh, clean in his technique uh, as far as um, consistency, where, whereas – is uh, Tyler? Tyler's a little bit more of a, a little bit more erratic with his with his technique, but he's you know the results are the same. They both bomb the ball. Uh, we just need to clean Tyler up a little bit more. But I tell you what, uh, it's going to be fun. The competition is going to be real fun. Do you have a a fighter that you picked for this battle yet? Just so you know, John, and I want to go through this. There will be judged on three categories, and that of course is leg strength, technique. And who shows up with a better haircut? And uh, we are, we're, we're going to see how this plays out in, in training camp. Who, who do you like here? I like the guy who is the better holder. <laughs> you don't want a Sorry, Tony Romo? I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm just not going in on those criteria. You don't want, you don't want the Tony <laughs> Romo type of end of your season where he, he botches the hold and trying to, to dive into the end zone. And you that's, end up. That's, that's fair. That's what I want. Yeah. No, that, and that, and that's a good point. And Tommy Townsend has experience as a holder at Florida and that's, that's a, that's a big time program. And so, you know, I think that that should be a big part of it. Uh, that is one of the parts I think that you might be overlooking when you say goodbye to, to Dustin Colquitt is this was a holder 
for this unit. And that's, that's such a big part that you really just didn't have to think about for 15 years because he was so good and automatic at that, where you, you do sometimes have those problems. And I think rapport with Harrison Butker, rapport with James Winchester will be good. And Townsend, I mean, this is, again, a kid coming out. He was cognizant of that. He has been trying to say, virtually, I'm trying to get it to the point where this unit just is perfect and ready to go, has no problems going in. It's a smooth operation. Those were the words that he used. Well, I think it's okay when you're a fan to go, who cares about the holder? You know, let the backup quarterback do it. But this is the this is the way it's done, and it's done that way for a reason. And I learned this lesson a long time ago from Nick Lowry and Brian Barker, that they do this this way because it allows the specialists to practice together throughout the practice. Right. It's all about getting reps uh, and getting reps together. Because if you have someone who is the holder as part of another job with the team, then they are not available to practice with the kicker during practice. And I, this, this is not sexy. This is not cool. That right. it's all set up so that they can practice together. But teams do it this way for exactly that reason. And so to me, I would rather have, especially when we're talking about the Chiefs offense, a guy who has more experience as a holder than a guy who can kick it five yards further downfield. And, you know, the haircut, okay, that's fun. We're, we'll have fun with that and, 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 all, and all that. But to me, it's all about whether or not he has the skills to do all the jobs he has to do in, in the team. And those are punting and having good hands so he can be a holder. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the haircut. Worth noting, Tommy Townsend blows it out and straight main. Sure. It's dry. And then, of course, Tyler Newsom has that greasy mullet. You wonder if some of that grease will get to his hands and it'll be more difficult to hold. So <laughs> that's something you do have to think about there. Right. Other special teams notes. Uh, Tobe called cornerback Antonio Hamilton and Willie Gay. Four unit starters. So with that to me, in my mind already, I'm saying, okay, you know, Ant- Antonio Hamilton, he took less money to come to Kansas City. This is someone that the Chiefs view as a gunner and already a four-unit starter, that clicks in my mind he's making the 53. Not that it was a, a huge question, but it was a, a small question just because sure. of, of that. He's going to be here. So I, I think we can cross that off. Tobe likes Clyde Edwards-Alaire, he said, as a punt protector. And that is because he wants to be able to direct snap him on fakes. If you have Mahomes on fourth down and third down, and then you have Clyde out there as a potential fake on fourth and two, fourth and three... The Chiefs may never get off the field. This just might be a team that's on offense for the entire game. And John, you know how we feel when Ethan's not in the room about time of possession at (laughs) ourheadpride.com. But only when he's not in the room, right? If you win the time of possession battle, you're in a better position to win the game. (laughs) Well, I love Ethan's arguments about that. But yes, it does matter. And uh, basically, we're talking about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in the Albert Wilson role. That's where they would put Albert Wilson on those punt plays because he could take a direct snap and do something with it. And there was one play, I believe, was against the Falcons That's right. uh, some years ago where he broke one of those for a touchdown. And you love to have that capability on a special teams play to have a guy who could break a big play like that. So I love the way Tobe is thinking about this. 
There's your trivia question and answer, really, I think, too. I mean, in that Falcons game, had Wilson not run that fake back for a touchdown, you don't have the opportunity for Eric Berry to have those two touchdowns and the two-point play that ended up leading the Chiefs to victory in his hometown after cancer and everything like that. So a, a major Chiefs moment, in, in a way, made possible by that Wilson fake that you just mentioned. Tobal I'm sorry, Pete. Last week was what-if week. We're, we're past that. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for letting me know that. I, that that's a tremendous point. And what am I doing? <laughs> Last point from Tobe here, though. He, he discussed returners and everybody cares about what's going to be happening when it comes to returners. He was asked specifically about McCole Hardman, where we saw this progression with Tyreek Hill, where Hill became so important on offense that they had to relieve him of some of his returning duties. So Tobe was asked, is that same thing going to happen to McCole Hardman in his second year here? Yeah, we're going to, everybody, we start everybody off as a returner. I put everybody back there like pre-practice. You notice we have like 20, 20 guys out there sometimes. And so you never know. You find guys, diamonds in a rough, guys that haven't done it before, like Nile Davis. Never did it in college. He ended up doing it in NFL. So, um, you know, we'll, everybody will start there. Everybody's a four-phase guy. Uh, including including Clyde. I mean, Clyde's going to be playing everything. He's never never done anything before, and, and Willie Gay and all those guys. But but yeah, true. I don't. I'm not sure about Hardman. I don't want to lose him. I think he's just scratched the surface as a returner. I, I you know he hasn't he hasn't reached his potential yet. You know he could be even better. I think he knows that, and you know hopefully we can keep him in in those roles. Um, you know it's important. You know it's important that, that to get the ball in guys. Uh, hands that can make plays, and he's he's one of them. Hardman said last year that he wanted to be the best returner in the league. To me, he'll be kept here, and it's because the Chiefs were able to come up with ways to bring back Sammy, and they ended up getting, I think, a little bit lucky with the offseason the way it went when it came to Demarcus Robinson, where they felt, okay, Robinson went out. I think he was seeking maybe a potential free agent deal. They bring him back on, on the one-year deal. And that doesn't put the pressure on them to force Hardman into the offense. Now, I think if there is a role for him, Andy Reid is going to find it. But I think you might see another year like we did last year where he's more in that role position for the Chiefs on offense and remains that home run threat as a returner. Yeah, and I think the, the one thing that we're forgetting about Hardman is that we tend to look at this in the aftermath of what they did with Tyreek Hill with after one season as right. primarily a returner they made him more of a wide receiver and his his role as a returner as a returner decreased but that was a different world than they live in now they didn't have Sammy Watkins then they they didn't have they didn't have all the weapons they now have available to them and that gives them the luxury to keep McColl as a returner for this season and allowing him to continue to develop so that after Watkins is gone, presumably after this coming season, although who knows, but after Watkins is gone, McColl can step into his role more easily. And it's, it's basically they just have the luxury to do that because they didn't feel the pressure to put him on the field as a receiver right away. Also, I, I didn't, didn't, Tobe say that they were going to send invites to 59 players he did. for the special teams meeting. He did on, on Zoom. That's, that's what, 70, 60 out of 90 players, two-thirds of the players are 
going to be getting the training and the instruction in how to play special teams. And that is one of the things that Tobe is fantastic about, is that not only he's able to identify the players that are on the roster who have potential as special teams and is able to, as circumstances change throughout the season, have these guys be trained well enough that they can step in when other guys get hurt and allows the Chiefs to remain flexible when who plays special teams and still field a quality unit every time. This guy's an amazing special teams coach as far as I'm concerned. Two quick notes on, on everything you said. First thing on Watkins, remains to be seen how this thing plays out. I, I think we learned in that article what Watkins is thinking is, is very unpredictable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he plays this season, gives it one more season with the Chiefs. I think the hope is that he's able to repeat with them. And I think you could tell he's really seeking that challenge of maybe being the number one spotlight guy for a team. And I don't think that's going to happen in Kansas City with Tyreek Hill. I think they have that guy. And so I, I just think he goes one and done. Again, who knows? This could be a very different Watkins a year from now. We'll see if the Chiefs even want to retain him if mm-hmm. Hardman progresses to that point. Other thing I just wanted to note here too, Tobe did later in that conversation go into the potential of, okay, so you take Hardman and, and maybe his role does decrease. He mentioned Byron Pringle as another mm-hmm. guy who could yeah. potentially be a returner here. And same thing with Hamilton. You talk about 53-man roster cues. I don't know if Pringle would necessarily be considered a guarantee. To me, now I make that note in my mind, well, Pringle's coming back. I mean, we know that now. And you take that data from last year and then this idea that he could be a backup for Hardman. And you need guys like that on the 53-man roster. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And of course, it remains to be seen how the uh, two additional practice squad players will be used and having the ability to throw them in there if they need to on a moment's notice with the new rules about how players can be elevated to the game day roster. So that could be very a very interesting thing to watch in this coming season and all these things fit together in some way or another. Well, there you have it. We've gone through everything we've learned about the Chiefs these past two days. I want to thank former Chiefs wide receiver Danon Hughes for coming on the program. For my deputy editor, John Dixon, my name is Pete Sweeney. Thank you for joining us on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. Coming up next on this channel, we'll have the Arrowhead Pride Laboratory on Monday at 11 a.m. We'll be responding to some of the things that we learn from Andy Reid as the Chiefs make him available to the media on Friday. Keep it locked in. ArrowheadPride.com and the Arrowhead Pride Podcast channel. We'll see you next time. 